Welcome to the analysis.news. I'm Greg Wilpert. In a historic presidential election, Colombians chose the former guerrilla member and leftist political candidate Gustavo Petro as their new president during the June 19th runoff election. This is the first time in many decades that a leftist candidate won Colombia's presidency. Petro and his Afro-Colombian running mate, Francia Marquez, narrowly beat the right-wing populist Rodolfo Hernandez with a margin of 3% of the vote. At 58%, turnout was slightly higher than during the first round when 55% of eligible voters took to the polls. Joining me to analyze the election result is Jimena Sanchez. Jimena is a Colombian human rights advocate with the Washington Office on Latin America and joins me from Cali, Colombia. Thanks for being on the analysis.news again, Jimena. Thank you for having me again. So first of all, just how significant is Gustavo Petro's election to Colombia's presidency? What does it mean? What do you think? Well, this is a complete paradigm shift because for 200 years, the traditional parties in Colombia have governed the country, really focusing on their own interests, which is of the perhaps 10% of the population. And this victory really shows two things. One, it shows that it's the first time that you're going to have a president and vice president that really reflects the concerns and needs of the majority of the population, of the rural population, of the urban poor, and of that whole part of Colombia, which has always been called the periphery of Colombia, although it is really the central part of Colombia, um, in a position of power where they might actually be able to implement um, things that benefit the majority of the country, not just a few. So when we spoke last a few weeks ago, uh, during the uh, following the first round of the presidential election, it seemed unlikely at that moment, actually, that Petro would be able to overcome the combined votes of the right-wing candidates, Rodolfo Hernandez, and the conservative uh, mainstream candidate, Federico Gutierrez, uh, who together had something like 52% of the vote at that time, compared to Petro's 40.3%. So, and at the time you seemed rather skeptical that Petro would be able to overcome this mm -hmm. uh, combined right-wing vote, but in the end he did uh, by 3%. What happened? Well, I was very skeptical because um, the right in Colombia has played very dirty over many years. And so for me, um, Rodolfo Hernandez was really their plan B and I wasn't sure to what extent they would go to guarantee that they, Petro um, couldn't win. So I think it was a, a wonderful surprise that that didn't happen. It's also a wonderful surprise that the elections went so incredibly smoothly. Um, you had maybe two incidents of violence, but in general, um, things went incredibly well. And so I think what happened was that when Colombians were faced with a uh, candidate that was an outsider candidate, where you had absolutely no idea what he was going to be representing, somebody who also was insulting different people, who obviously was saying that the law doesn't even matter to him, who was unwilling to debate and wasn't even in the country because he was in Miami. I think that uh, Colombians were like, well, that's really not an option for us. Also, um, he was heavily questioned for 
uh, corruption when he himself was running on an anti-corruption uh, mandate. While Petro um, has had very detailed outlined policy proposals for a while now that have even taken into account the concerns of people who are not from the traditional left, um, really trying to think in terms of consensus building. And so I think that uh, Colombians have more faith in actually something that they know um, will go a certain way. Uh, so a lot of it was that. I also think another part of it was the mass a presentation of international and national observers in the country. I think there's been no other cycle of elections where you've had so many eyes from the outside watching everything that is going on, uh, which made it almost impossible for fraud uh, to take place without it being reported. So I think the combination of all of those factors um, had a, a big role, in addition to the fact that people are very indignant and tired of politics as usual in this country. I think uh, 2016 with the peace accord was a major uh, transformational shift uh, mentally for people. They were expecting for big changes to happen. Those didn't happen. They got politics as usual and even a retrocession in terms of security and so forth. And so they were really tired. They're like, no, we want a government that is going to actually provide for the people in the country. Um, and that's basically what we've seen happen. But it is fundamental because this has never, ever happened in Colombia before. Hmm. Now, what do you expect Petro will do? I mean, in his acceptance speech, um, the night of his historic win, Petro said he wants to govern with the politics of love. <laughs> what does he mean by that? And what are his priorities for the presidency, uh, which would begin um, this August and last for four years? Colombia has been played with hatred, and with um, polarization uh, for many, many years. It's always been, you know, if I have power, let me undermine everybody else who's opposed to me or even criticize me. Um, and I think what he means by love um, is an effort to try to coexist with the different forces in the country and try to come up with solutions that are probably going to be more progressive than what Colombia is used to, but um, also take into account all of the different sectors. And so I think what he's trying to say is that he will be reaching out to the different uh, factions in the country that are probably very upset that he won, that builds a consensus that goes beyond uh, the left-right paradigm um, that we've seen uh, for so many years here. Um, can you say a little bit more about what he has put into his program? What, uh, what would be his legislative priorities? Okay, so I think the number one winner of these elections and, and a priority in his programming is going to be, uh, first and foremost, going back to 2016 and um, advancing the peace accord as it was actually signed by the parties, not this parallel peace process called Peace with Legality which was basically just a failed effort to advance the rights interest under the name of peace and completely undermine it. So I think that we're going to see a shift back to a more transformational view of public policy, not just the immediate and what the um, Congress at that moment um, negotiates for themselves, but more a broader view, more state-like policies. Um, secondly, we're going to see 
something that's not going to make people happy, which is a tax reform, which is what, you know, um, his tax reform is going to cause some um, backlash. But Colombia does need to have a way to gain revenue, which has been one of the biggest problems it's had for many years. We're going to see a different policy um, in terms of human rights in that um, he's talked about reforming uh, the military, reforming the national police, uh, figuring out ways for that to be an actual police force that defends its own people instead of attacks them as enemies. And the same thing with the armed forces. Interestingly, I have been spending days here with the sections of the armed forces that are very pro-Petro um, because it's important that the international media presents the armed forces um, as the rightest part of the armed forces, but there's actually a huge part of it that is very tired of politics as usual because the levels of corruption in the armed forces are such that those that end up taking the fall are always um, the regular soldiers or whenever they're um, revelations of large-scale human rights abuses, which has been a problem that has plagued these armed forces for a long time, it is those people who take the fall and those who try to change it through the special jurisdiction for peace by truth-telling, by explaining how these abuses take place are branded as traitors. And so I think that um, this idea that the armed forces is just the right and that's all is something that he will probably um, be looking into and thinking more of how do I uh, professionalize these armed forces so that they're in the interest of the nation and the people and not so much an ideology, which I think is something very, very necessary in this country at this time after the huge um, sets of abuses that we saw from the police in particular, which has left people really um, feeling that um, the police forces are, are dangerous to them. So that's another bit. The other bit that he's talked about extensively has been really to have a more holistic, integral approach to drug policy. Um, and so that means not just at the international level, um, not being willing to advance things like the aerial fumigation program that is something the U.S. has funded um, and that is highly problematic for the environment, health, and, and, and completely useless in terms of uh, doing away with coca, which is what its main purpose is. Uh, but trying to have an approach to drug policy that takes into account the markets, the international markets, takes into account the financial part of it all, uh, and the big fish, not just the small-scale rural farmer that sells the coca, which is really the you know weakest part of, of all of this in terms of financial gain. So that would also entail national reforms in terms of drug policy, which would have more of a harm reduction approach. Um, in many ways, this is kind of in line with what we've been seeing in Colorado and other parts of the United States. I think that's going to be a big change. I think the change that will probably cause the most turmoil, especially for the United States, is that he will most likely um, open up relations again with Venezuela, something which is absolutely crazy that hasn't been there given the history of these two nations and how intertwined their economies as well as their borders and the needs there. So um, I think he will try to open that up again um, and see whether uh, minimally there can be efforts to address 
the tremendous problems on the border, which have to do with the multiplicity of illegal armed groups on both sides of the border, its affectations to Colombians and Venezuelans, and also uh, the incredible number of Venezuelans who are in Colombia, who more and more are being recruited forcibly into uh, the armed conflicts with Colombia, the security situations in Colombia, putting them basically um, at risk of um, illegal trafficking, um, being killed, um, illegal recruitment into groups and all of that. So I think that that's going to be a big step. Um, the other will be um, his uh, relationship and his policy towards the United States is gonna be different. Um, which is, I think, uh, something that probably frightens a lot of people in Washington because they're not sure what that's going to look like. But more than likely, we may see an effort to renegotiate aspects of the free trade agreement um, with the United States, in particular, because the extractive industries in Colombia, um, first of all, economically are not benefiting the whole of the country. They're mostly benefiting the multinationals. Not even the actual government of Colombia is getting the level of revenue it needs from its own um, resources. But then more than that, um, because of the environmental impact of a lot of these industries, um, we may see an effort to renegotiate, renegotiate aspects of it and shift that around. Now, this is not a radical thing. This is what Mexico did as well with NAFTA. Um, you know, we, we, we see that um, these free trade agreements globally were heralded as the way to, you know, make economies boom when in reality um, that hasn't been the case, haven't delivered for most of these countries. And so I think that will follow that same, that same trend. Um, aside from that, I don't think the relationship with the United States is going to be that much different in terms of the U.S. and Colombia have a very extensive relationship. They celebrated their 200 years However, it may not be so much a militaristic relationship or one where um, Colombia is basically subservient to what the United States needs on the global stage as this government and other Colombian governments have been, but one perhaps where there may be more respect uh, towards Colombia and more independence from the part of Colombia and sovereignty on some of the issues uh, that are taken with things like extradition you know, uh, Colombia still remains the country where most um, people are extradited from to the United States. This may change. Um, and um, perhaps the effort will be placed on actually building a justice system within Colombia that can handle people who commit grave crimes um, and that they're actually be uh, sanctioned here in the country rather than just taking them out of the country um, and undermining the judicial system here. So I think that we're going to see many things of that nature. Maybe um, we will have a more honest conversation about the environmental issues. You know, uh, Duque's government has lauded itself as being pro-environment, which is probably the furthest thing that it's been. Um, but it's engaged in a major marketing campaign internationally to appear to be doing all these things for the environment, when in reality that's not the case. Perhaps now, given that we have a Goldman environmental winner, as well as a completely different, uh, more integral look of the environment, we may actually have environmental policies that are more mutually beneficial for the world, but especially for the parts of the 
Amazon that belong to Colombia, um, which have greatly suffered in recent years, in a sense, because the conflict ended with the FARC, that opened up a lot of those areas to um, many different interests that before the conflict itself, because of insecurity, um, didn't allow in. And so um, we may see a much better discussion um, and Colombia may become more of an actual um, example of how you can be a country that's incredibly biodiverse and can use that as a potential rather than just as a economic uh, package for resources for countries from, from the outside. Um, and this would be really important because as, as we all know, the situation in Brazil has become incredibly critical and South America needs leadership in terms of environmental issues at this point. Um, just to explain to our viewers, uh, the Goldman environmental winner that you're referring to is uh, Vice President uh, Francia Marquez, um, who's, uh, who, who, who's on Petro's ticket and is now going to be Vice President. Um, but everything that you describe sounds extremely ambitious, actually, especially if you consider that the Colombian presidency lasts uh, four years, which is the uh, same as in the U.S., but it's only one term, unlike the United States, uh, and also unlike some, several other countries in Latin America where they are often five or even six years. So um, now... And on top of it all, uh, Colombian politics is notorious for its uh, political violence. I mean, hundreds of political activists are still assassinated on a regular basis every year by paramilitary forces that are still ex in existence in, in Colombia uh, and often have a history of working uh, together with Colombia's military. Uh, do you think uh, that Colombia's elite and its extremely violent right-wing forces will actually allow Petro to govern? And uh, what about his correlation of forces in parliament? Will that allow him to govern? What do you think? Well, I think that the right in Colombia is gonna do everything in their possible power to undermine and to not allow him to govern. Unfortunately, I think that, that a lot of that is going to be involved displacing themselves more into the international arena and very specifically Washington DC to try to um, bend um, Biden's ear towards what they think should be done to create obstacles to changes that uh, Petro um, would be proposing that they see as undermining their interests. Um, I have no doubt that that's what they're going to do because that's already what they've been doing up until this point. Um, and, and, you know, creating a lot of fear mongering, uh, uh, and going into prejudices, um, you know, associating um, even uh, the Petro campaign with Cuba, Venezuela, um, you know, trying to align Colombia into this Cold War mentality, ideological divide that supposedly threatens the United States. I mean, they've already been doing that, they're gonna continue to do that. So I think that the number one um, obstacle for Petro will be whatever they're able to get the United States to buy into and try to use um, um, against him um, and what actions are taken uh, regarding that. Secondly, um, in the Congress, you know, the Pacto Historico has expanded tremendously, but there are all these other traditional political parties, and those parties are there for the interest of those economic and political elites. So we're going to see quite a bit of a battle there, uh, similar to what we saw, I guess, with Obama and the Tea Party. It's how I envision that this is going to be, like anything that Obama said 
was immediately something that they were opposed to, you know, just on principle, you know, even regardless of what it was, I think we're going to see that. And I think that's going to be the biggest um, obstacle for governance um, for uh, Petro. And, and I think there's going to be a lot of convincing that needs to be done with the general population to then convince their own um, representatives, um, even though in Colombia, representatives aren't as representative um, as in the United States. Um, but however, I think that he's going to have to um, utilize um, that popular uh, vote and, and mandate that he's gotten in his favor to push um, the other interests in the country. Now with security, um, you know, the FARC demobilized, um, that's one big part, but those aren't the only illegal groups in the country. He said he would open up negotiations again with the ELN, which would be vitally important in certain parts of the country. But more than that, um, the major issue in terms of security that is behind all the killings of social leaders in particular, um, which more than thousands have been killed since the signing of the accord and continue to be killed today, are these uh, regrouped paramilitary organizations, which are many. And for those groups, um, he's basically said that he would reach out with some kind of an offer for them to demobilize and be able to get incentives in terms of justice. What I mean by this is basically favorable terms to demobilize, making it um, so that um, they are not actively uh, so forth. But that said, even with just having an agreement with the ELN in terms of advancing that accord, that's going to lower the level of violence tremendously because you will probably have situations in a country where um, because it's considered to be um, that the ELN is not actively fighting because it's negotiating, that you won't have um, as much of a, at least combat between the illegal armed groups, the military forces and the ELN in some of these regions. And that already is going to be a major boost in terms of securing the situation for civilians in those areas. Because when those situations happen in this country, the pressure that's on social leaders uh, diminishes uh, tremendously. And there is a decrease in internal displacement and, and things like that. So I think that that would be the way to go. That's not going to be easy. That's not going to be well liked. There is no real good solution to getting rid of these illegal structures. All of them are bad, but um, if he can convince some of them to um, not only demobilize, but also create um, a scenario where the actual peace accord gets implemented, whose entire purpose in a lot of these areas is to create the economies, the infrastructure, and the alternatives to illicit economies of which um, illicit security is part of that economy, um, you may actually have people doing different things. Um, you know, you have to understand that a lot of this insecurity, aside from it being ideological and, and so forth because of the history, is also out of need. People need to survive and they join these groups willingly or unwillingly um, to be able to put food on the table. So if we're able to have um, the combination of things uh, together um, and it's not going to be right away, I'm sure there's going to be transitions, there's going to be 
moments as as things change where it may be more violent for a period, but eventually it's less violent. Um, you may actually see some transformational change in a lot of these areas that in the end will be better in terms of security. Well, um, let's hope you're <laughs> right. And uh, definitely seems like a very promising development. We're gonna leave it there for now though. I was speaking to Jimena Sanchez, human rights advocate at the Washington office on Latin America. Thanks again, Jimena, for having joined me today. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and thank you to our listeners and viewers for tuning in to the analysis.news. If you like our videos and podcasts, please make sure to visit the analysis.news website and make a donation there so we can continue providing the service. And don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and or to the podcast.